All right, everyone, welcome back and happy new year. Uh, it's our first episode of 2023. I'm very, very excited. Uh, this is episode seven of No Bull with Noble. And today we got Jeffrey Joseph on the podcast. Jeffrey, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. He, Jeffrey's and been in the business. Happy for, New Year uh, to you, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. He's been in the business for 54 years, which is crazy. I, I aspire to be in the business for that long, and I hope I'm in the business for that long. And you know, today, yeah, we're gonna talk about how you've gone through the business and you know why you've been in here for that long and what's worked, what hasn't worked, and your experiences. Well, the easiest answer to longevity in this career is that I still love it every day. I have no intentions of retiring from it. If I have to retire, it'll be kicking and screaming, going out with my boots on. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, again, what I hope to to be as well. And when I got into this business, when I first started, or I guess before that, when I was deciding whether I wanted to go into real estate, whether that was something that I wanted to do, I took a month and a half to realize if this was something that was for me. And that was one of the things that I had to think about was, Am I prepared to be in this business for 50, 60, 70 plus years? And as long as I was okay with that, the rest of it didn't really matter. So, Well, I took it one day at a time, and it was continuing education. And I learned uh, many things from other realtors and from clients. Uh some of the success I've managed to achieve was by exercising creative latitude because I found that uh, buyers, for example, don't always know what they want until they see it at the time. Right. And uh, <laughs> I've had a couple of cute stories. I can think of one uh, really tough litigation lawyer who, when he got to the property, said, that's a bungalow. I'm not living in a bungalow. Yeah, we calmed him down, got him through the front door. But when he went to the back window and he saw the 40 acres of ravine parkland with the creek running by, he bought the house two days later. That's insane. And he only saw one or two houses from the previous house that he was going to leave, which I got for him. And so was that only because you found the house and you said, listen, I know you don't want a bungalow. I know this isn't in your thing, but... Just take a look well, at the it, key, just go and see it. The key uh, was uh, we sent a renovator to his previous house because he asked for one, and it came back with a $300,000 renovation, which at that time was a very excessive amount of money. It was a very good renovator, but and I had told him that uh, he probably didn't have a value to uh, when it would be finished uh, that the value wouldn't be that amount. He would have overspent. And maybe we should look for something else. And he said, yes, something with land, a larger lot. He already had a 50 by 130 lot, which is typical deep, lots, yeah. 50 by 120. That's a decent a, size, yeah. 50 by 120 is a my uh, base measure for a lot. It's typical. So we found a much bigger lot. But there was a bungalow on it. Now, had I told him that it was a bungalow, he wouldn't have gone to see it. So we didn't tell him. And, and then he got there. He showed up at the property. He was fuming, but he went through the front door, went to the back window, saw the ravine parkland with the creek running by, and within two days, he bought the house. The, the real point of that story was three months later when he called me up 
when he said, you know, you made us very happy with this house. Thank you. <laughs> he just about had me in tears. It had never happened before. From uh, any of your previous from buyers? anybody, or? never happened before. And I'd already, you know, logged uh, 15, 20 years, 25, 25 years in the business at that time. So, yeah, I was going to ask how long into the business were you when this happened, but 20 well, years. That time, and yeah. And the same thing happened again. We were uh, trying to buy a condominium for a couple, somebody that with whom I was friendly in elementary school, grade seven, grade eight. Uh, they wanted to move from their big house in Richmond Hill to a um, condominium in downtown Toronto somewhere near Yorkville. Oh, we found a few and we made an offer on one or two. Didn't get them. They were in my car and I stopped by a recently renovated, we'll call it a townhome in Forest Hill Village. Had I told them where they were going, they wouldn't have gone. Absolutely not under any circumstances. That was 18 years ago. They're still there. Really? Yeah. And that's all. So do you think that uh, from your experience throughout the business, that's one of the key elements is to sort of find, I wouldn't say a hidden gem, but understand what your buyers are looking for and go out of your way to find these other properties that, hey, maybe they wouldn't consider, but have you trust them or have them trust you to say, hey, we'll go look at this one for, right. you know, just, just to try it. The worst that can happen is that nothing happens, that I was completely on the wrong track. But- in those two cases, we were on the right track. There was another one. They had to be at Bayview and York Mills. And turned out they couldn't financially handle Bayview and York Mills. I had a listing at Bayview and Steels. And my associate, who was I asked to take them up there, said, are you crazy? They don't want to be there. Well, as soon as they saw that house on the 100 by 150 lot, they bought it. They lived there happily 10 years. Came back to me. I bought, them in a, bought another house for them on Russell Hill in Forest Hill. That's great. Yeah, I feel like for you, there's so many experiences and so many things that you've gone through throughout the business. What do you think is one of the tougher things that you have, you've had to deal with throughout these 50 plus years? Never really been that tough. Uh, the thing that makes it easiest is I listen. And I deal with people, with all the other realtors and the, the clients, the buyers, the sellers. And the key word is respect. For me, respect is the single most important word in the English language. It's more important than the word love. I will respect you until you provide a reason not to. And I don't have to love you, but I will respect you. Yeah. And that's been a key for me in making real estate transactions work out smoothly and efficiently and the best possible way for the people involved, which includes the realtors on both sides and the buyers and the sellers. Yeah, that's something that I am valuing as well as treating everybody with yeah, respect. Yeah, it's an attitude. Yeah, having, you know, treating everybody the same. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, 20 years old, you're 80 years old, or you're, you know, you're buying a $5 million house, you're buying a thousand dollar rental or whatever it is treating everybody with that same respect i think is such a pivotal part of this job making sure that everyone is equal and you know going through that i'm sure throughout the years that's what you've learned but i'm you know oh, for I'm, me i'm yeah. trying to go in there with that mindset to begin with so that as soon as i've built 
a career or as I'm building my career and as I'm getting better, that's something that I am starting to value and see that other people can value in me as well. I agree with you 100%. I take care of the $1,000 tenant as well as the 10 to $20 million buyer. Makes no difference. Because for me, it's not about money. It's about getting the satisfaction from the clients. They got what they wanted. I helped. If you treat the lower end buyer differently, I believe it'll come back to bite you. It will, eventually, for sure. You can develop a reputation like that. And other people see it as well, right? Other realtors will see it. Other people will see it. Oh, you know, because people talk. Of course. Right? One of your buyers might run into another one of your buyers or, you know, one of your buyers might run into another realtor and have a conversation with them. And they say, oh, well, you know, Jeffrey treated me differently than how Ryan treated me. And if Ryan's giving me the full experience and Jeffrey's not giving me the full experience, you know, I don't know if I'm going to use him again. That's what I meant when it comes back to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what and I meant. And you never know. Absolutely. And that's, that's why I think starting off, even if you're new, even if you're 20, 30 years in the business, treating everybody with respect because you never want to burn bridges, but there are small things that you can do that might, that might do that. And you don't realize, right? It just starts with a spark. hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree with you. You, you never know what's going to happen. And it's, for me, it's a matter of attitude to treat everybody with respect. The realtors, the buyers, the sellers, the landlords, the tenants, and I do. That's my number one tenant. Even if you're not in this business, I think just as a person in general, that should be a rule of thumb. A it general is, rule. It of is thumb. for me. Yeah. It's a it's a mantra that I by which I live. And do you find that there are a lot of realtors in this business that don't do that? In all my years, I've only met two who I no longer respect, and they've done nothing to try and regain it. One of them knows because I told him straight to his face. Yeah. The other one doesn't know yet. <laughs> okay. We're, we're not going to mention any names. No. Or, no, know, no, 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 no. No slander on the podcast. I've met a lot right. of realtors, right. and I do go out of my way to make a transaction as smooth and efficient and successful as possible. I go out of my way to work well with other realtors because it benefits them, it benefits me, it benefits the uh, the buyers, the sellers, the landlord, and the tenants. It all works out when you respect the other realtor. Yeah. So when you started your career, how did you sort of, how, how did you build that? How did you start from, you know, like you mentioned way back in the day, it was well, five we, days <laughs> of getting your, your license and that was it, right? So five days at real estate school and then you're thrown to the wolves. I wish. <laughs> I wish I, I was five days that's, and I was done. Now it's, you know. Well, that's the way it was months, at that time. We didn't have the training. I had sales experience before I got into it. I came from automotive uh, background, so I had sales experience in automobile dealerships. Um, so that was uh, very rewarding. Uh, when I was a young man, I got a green car, went to California. I was 20 years old. I wound up at a dealership and they had training and I remember some of the things that that fellow told us that day that have still 
benefited me in my real estate career to this day. And the stories that I just told you about uh, the bungalow and the two-story house and that sort of thing, I learned it from that guy in 1965 in California. And you still remember what he told you? Oh, absolutely. What do you, what do you tell you? Spill, spill the beans if you, if you can. I don't know. Should this secret cost you some money? It, it, it might. You, you, can, you can send me an invoice later. I'll so pay for it. Just before lunch break, this uh, sales trainer said, how do you stop a shopper? And nobody knew the answer. We came back after lunch break, and he said, you switch them. So it went from a two-story house or three-story house like that man had to the bungalow. It went from the condominium to the two-story house. It went from here to there. It was a switch, and it worked out. It doesn't work out all the time, but... 90% of the time it frequently does because, like I said before, it's creative latitude. I don't uh, manipulate people. That trainer did things in a manipulative manner, which uh, I don't subscribe to that. And switch them sounds like a manipulation. But if you dig a little deeper, it isn't. I believe that people will see something that they want to have and go for it that they didn't necessarily start out to get. And that's the way it worked out. Yeah, I do not manipulate. It's an interesting way to put it. Not, not, not manipulating, but making that switch. Because it's, it's sort of a softer way to... Exactly. Soft, gentle. Um, suggestive, no manipulation, no sales techniques, no closing techniques. If you ask a closing question, there was another trainer who had a terrific answer for that. What do you do when you ask a closing question? And what's, what's the answer? He screamed out at the top of his lungs, shut up. Okay. You ask a closing question, for example, do you want this home if you can get it for this amount of money? And then you wait for an answer. If it takes till next week, you wait till next week to get the answer. Okay. It's a very simple question. If you can, you know, they say, well, that's way too much money. But if you can get it for this amount of money, do you want it? You're going to get an answer, yes or no. Yeah. And then you work from there. So that guy... That was his uh, training session. That's what I remember from listening to him in person and on his tapes. Whenever you ask a closing question, what do you do next? And he yelled out at the top of his lungs, you shut up. Never forgot it. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's so cool that these two small things that happened you know, 50 years ago, you still remember to this day and it's stuck with you and Absolutely. used to benefit and move your business because you weren't in real estate at the time and you probably didn't even think that that would be something yeah, that would help I, you. I, I still remember their names because what they had to say was very valuable. And I wasn't looking at it as manipulative techniques. I was looking at it as helpful 
techniques to get people to where they want to be, to get them what they want. It's just on how you ask the question without being a salesman. Yeah, because you know, a lot of people or hate... sales lady. <laughs> they, they, a lot of people hate salespeople. Uh, right. They, they don't they like do, salespeople. And rightly so. And, no, yeah, it's understandable. But a lot of people, you know, I guess everyone has a different way of being a salesman. You know, like you, you have the car salesman, you have the realtors, you have the marketing people, you have... You know, all these other salespeople, but everyone sort of has the same end goal, but everyone has a different way of explaining it. Yeah. Right. Of of running their their business and you know doing their business. And I know that there are some people who I guess would rather do like open ended questions. So you ask open ended questions to lead to an answer and then I guess at some point you would ask that final closing question. And then shut up. Exactly. Until you get an answer. Yeah, it's super interesting. The guy also went on to say, and I don't really believe it 100%. It was very interesting what he said was, he said, the first person who speaks will lose. And why, why is that? Well, I think he was being funny when he said it. I can't check it because it's, he's long gone. But I think he meant the first guy that speaks will either buy the property or sell it. Or if it's the realtor, the deal will probably just evaporate. So you need to be careful. You, yeah, the real, realtors frequently talk too much. I had people into a property, a couple of properties this week, was right from the front door, the listing agent had to be there, and they didn't stop talking to the point of becoming distractive. Okay, and did that turn your buyers off of Well, they the didn't property? see anything they want to see again. But I found it distractive. Yeah. And I've seen it before. People come into a house, I usually say welcome, and then I shut my mouth. Let the, the, the people buy a home from what they see and feel, not from what they hear. Yeah. In my opinion. No, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. You know. you know, explaining to somebody what they can plainly seal is, in my opinion, redundant, not necessary. Yeah. Like for, for the open houses that I've done, you know, lots of people run their open houses differently. Some realtors will come and they'll follow you around or like you said, they'll come and explain everything and talk you through the house. But I feel like with my strategy, it's more laid back. If you have questions, let me know because it's their privacy as well, right? Like you, you don't want to be intrusive in their visit. I agree with you a hundred percent. Whoever taught you that you've learned well. <laughs> it was, I think it was Richard. Yeah, I did, uh, did a couple of open houses with him and that's how he runs it. And like he even said, everybody runs their open houses differently. Some people do it one way, some people do it the other. And he runs it, you know, sort of more laid back and relaxed. And if they want, or sorry, if they have questions and they want me to walk around with them and show them, perfectly fine. I'm totally cool with that. Richard but. could set only good examples. Yeah. He is top quality guy. It's uh, you know, he's he's one of the reasons why I joined, why I joined this brokerage. Yeah, he's great, great guy, and yeah, I th I think that that's probably the best way. To I run think Richard's probably a very good mentor. Yeah, and you can learn from Richard. And that's exactly and what I'm he, doing. And he's willing to share and teach. And that's also why I have someone like you on the podcast as well, so that I'm I can, willing to share, right? Willing to share and willing to 
teach, even if it's a little bit, right? Because if I can take one thing from this conversation, if anyone listening here, even if they're not in real estate, can take one thing from this conversation, then that's my goal. Perfect. Right. That's that's the key because it's valuable information to me, but it's valuable information to other people. And I feel like, you know, some of the questions you're answering the questions that people may want the answers to. And even if you don't think about it, it, in the future, it could be something that benefits other people. Well, the same talking about sharing, I learned, uh, I, I felt that uh, a few months ago that the vendor take back mortgage was going to come back around again. I haven't dealt with a vendor take back mortgage in decades. We just weren't doing them. But I believe in this market that it's going it's starting to happen and coming back. And to know how to draft one is very important. There are certain clauses that are required. So one of, one of our broker associates at the office said that she submitted an offer on someone else's listing with a vendor take back second mortgage. And the listing agent was a young person, had no idea what this was. Right. Never heard the expression before? Yep. And the same, same with me, actually, two episodes ago, we had someone on the podcast and he mentioned that. And he explained it because a lot of people, including myself at the time, I mean, I, I knew about it, but he sort of went into more details because he was. Right. Well, this is something I felt was happening because of the time it was going to happen. And it is uh, because of the times involved. So when she told me that, that the agent didn't know anything about a second mortgage and the deal didn't get done, that vendor lost out because nobody could, ex the, the agent couldn't explain it to him. The vendor, the seller. Yeah. We used to call them uh, vendors and purchasers. Before. The vendor. Now, vendor now is a the seller. Americans uh, took this language over, and it's now uh, buyers and sellers. I was at a course at Toronto Real Estate Board several years ago, before uh, the pandemic came to town, and something about mortgages came up. And I stood up and I asked, does anybody know what a postponement clause is? Not one person could answer, including the instructor, who'd been around for a while. What's a postponement clause? What's a postponement clause? Do you know? I don't, no. Okay, a postponement clause is required in the second mortgage when the first mortgage expires before the, the vendor take back second mortgage is going to expire. You have to keep that second mortgage in place while you're renewing or replacing the first mortgage. The key to it is that you have to say that any increase in the principal amount by any renewal or replacement of that first mortgage must be paid in reduction of the second. Okay. Because if it isn't, then the fellow that's got the second mortgage, his equity will erode. So if he has a second mortgage behind a 500000 first and you raise that first, it's going to expire, and that second doesn't stay a second, and you replace the first with a 600,000 first, you got to pay that hundred to the second. Right, yeah. Otherwise, his position is weakened. Okay. So it's not right. But that's a key ingredient. You must have that clause in the second mortgage. The other one, that it's a good thing to put in a prepayment clause. Yeah. And there are different ways of... Uh, writing them up. Prepayment 
you may have heard the expression open or closed yes. mortgages. Yes. Well, they're, they're not really open. They're not really closed. They're mortgages with privileges or without privileges. And the, the privileges can be outlined depending on how they're negotiated with the, the seller and the buyer. And do you see a lot of that today as well? Well, it's coming back. Okay. Uh, Slowly. Yeah. I, I haven't had any going on, but I, it's coming back and I can see it happening. It's just a matter of which day. I know how to draft it and how to explain it. The, uh, I was flabbergasted that nobody in that course knew what a postponement clause was. Didn't know what a prepayment clause was either. Well, I mean, for or you, because, because you've been in the business for so long, you've seen it. But a lot of what they're doing for, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not slandering on, on the education, but we don't learn too much about the business unless you're really in the business. So, you know, because you've gone through the experiences and you've seen these clauses, like the first time popping up, I'm sure it was a Learning how to draft that mortgage was taught in the school at the okay. time. But because we were doing it so often, it became second nature to know how to draft it, all the language that was needed in how to draft a vendor take back second mortgage. And I've been involved was where if it wasn't for the vendor take back second mortgage, there would not have been a sale. Really? Exactly. My first really creative vendor take back second mortgage was at zero interest. Wow. Now there's a way to write it. Okay. So I learned afterwards. I didn't at the time. The buyer didn't have another penny. And that seller wanted that house sold because he'd already bought. So we, I created the vendor take back second mortgage idea and the owner when he saw the zero interest, he went ballistic. But after a while, he calmed down, and he accepted it. Zero interest, $3,000, five years. Now, when you're selling a house for $60,000, that's the way it was then. It didn't seem you know, so much. Today, it wouldn't be 3000 It would be yeah, 300000 <laughs> A $60,000 house. But, you know, just well, the thought of at that the is, time, it was a lot of money. It's crazy, yeah. So... Knowing how to draft that second mortgage today at zero interest, for example, you would draft it at 12% or some onerous amount of money and then go on to say that if the payment is made on time, that the interest will be forgiven. Okay. If you draft it at zero interest and the mortgage goes into default or arrears, you can't plug any interest into it. It will be zero forever until you uh, sell under power of sale. Yeah. But if you draft it at 12% and it goes into arrears, I mean, that's an encouragement to pay it off on time. Of course. It's a little trick of the trade I learned from somebody else, uh, one of the lawyers I was dealing with at the time. And yeah, lawyers play a, a huge role. Oh, in absolutely. A lot of I learned a lot of stuff from lawyers. In my next life, I'm coming back a lawyer. And what, why would you come back as a lawyer? Well, I believe their training is really good. They learn how to articulate better than anybody else I've ever met. They're very clear thinkers. They think things through, don't usually make snap decisions. I think lawyer training is very good. I've recommended it to many uh, young people, even if they don't want to practice law. The training is good. And if you couple it with a second uh, discipline, like engineer, MBA, CA, 
it's even better. So did you think about becoming a lawyer at some point? Oh, in my next life, I'm coming back a lawyer. But I mean, during during this life at this point, you didn't. Well, I you did. were in a real estate. I, for I a little did, bit. but the uh, real estate came up, and uh, it it was the lesser of two evils at the time. <laughs> you think you made the right decision? Of course. Oh, of course. I, yeah. I'm very happy with my decision. Yeah, this is definitely a, a career where. You know, I mean, most lawyers are frequently, you know, if they're not in court, they're pushing paper, a lot yeah. of paper. Guys that do mergers and acquisitions, you know, it's very exciting, but it's a lot of paperwork. For me, I'm dealing with the people face-to-face. -face. We're in the properties. We're negotiating. It's it's not just work for me. I don't treat it as work. Yeah, like you said, it's not about the money. No. Right? It's no, about... Not about the money. The relationships. That's the very best word you can choose. It's about the relationships. Maintaining the relationship for a long time... Uh, I'm still in touch with people who purchased through me in 1972, and they're still there in that house that I got for them. So what do you do to maintain relationships right now? So I want to say late in your career, but now that you've been doing it a long time, because you know a lot of the newer, younger realtors are using CRMs where these are websites and you know they have all of their data and information about all of their clients on there and i don't know if you have an, another way of doing it where you have uh for example like a book where you have everything written down and you check up on your clients or you have other ways of keeping in contact what do you do to well keeping in contact uh by email is one thing you send your newsletters out but personal contact is even more important this is a personal business very yeah so i call on the phone I'll uh, take flowers over on an anniversary uh, of the closing. I'll send people out for dinner as my guests to a restaurant. I have a restaurant that sends out a letter. A couple of restaurants have sent out letters inviting people as my guests to their restaurant. That's great. I've never heard of that. And there's no, uh, there's no limit on the amount. The restaurant has my credit card. That's great. And you, you still practice this? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I've sent uh, I, I sent an invitation last week for four people. I've done multiple transactions with him, and the, the second couple is his parents. I bought a condominium for them. Never met them. But the four of them are going out for dinner. And it was on you? Yeah. On me. That's great. That's, uh, that's smart. That's something that I... Just a special treat. Yeah. And... Uh, it says, I appreciate you. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a small gesture, but it yeah. speaks Notice volumes. I didn't say, I appreciate your business. Right. I appreciate you. Yeah, it's like you said, it's it's not about the business. It's about right. the relationships. Yeah. So I've, there have been multiple transactions with that man. And even uh, he had something in Nova Scotia to sell. He called me. I found a realtor. I telephone interviewed three realtors in uh, Halifax. One of them got the listing. Took a while, but it sold. That's great. So, did you know these realtors in Halifax? Or no. You found a way. To... No, I, I. It's not that hard to find them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, do, do you, you only do trades in Ontario? Do you have your license anywhere else? No, or? only in Ontario. Uh, I had somebody that wanted to buy something in London, Ontario. I telephone interviewed a few realtors, found one, connected uh, that realtor with uh, this buyer, and they bought within a week.
And what do you look for when you call these other realtors? The typical, uh, well, I, I, it has to do with uh, what I feel their attitude is and how they will treat that buyer. Because if I don't feel it's right, it's going to come back to haunt me, not them. Right, because it's your reputation just as much uh, yeah, as it's theirs. Yeah, you know, I tell uh, I I tell somebody that I'm going to find a realtor for you that will take good care of you. And when I follow up afterwards, they said, yes, this realtor took good care of me. And that's the key. Oh, this is yeah. very important, very, very important. And, you know, and we got the customary referral fee. Of course, yeah, because... So that you know worked both ways. Once in Halifax, when we were selling, I got the referral fee. And once in London, Ontario, I got when they were buying, I got the referral fee. And I'm happy to share. And as long as the client is, has good care from a reliable professional. And respect. For me, that word reliable is very important. Yeah. Reliability and respect, I think, are the I two. want my reputation to know, be known as reliable. Right. It doesn't have to be anything else. Because I don't I, have to be number one. <laughs> I don't have to be this or that. Yeah, reliable. Once you've earned the trust from your buyers as well, I'm sure there are other realtors, again, that have the same respect. And you know, if those people in London or those people in Halifax have someone who want to move into a place in Toronto, I'm sure you'd be the first person they'd call as well. Uh, hopefully I would. Because yeah. that's happened. That's great. So yeah, I guess we're kind of coming to the end, which you know I feel like it was a pretty nice, pretty quick conversation. But I I like to leave uh, the podcast asking you a question. So, what's a piece of advice that you would give to a new realtor in the business to help guide them through their new career? Well, the first one would be to trust your instinct. The second one would be to don't be a salesman or sales lady. Just be a person. Be a friend to whomever you're going to be representing or dealing with, like the other realtors, and it will work out smoothly. That's great. Well, thanks, Jeffrey. I Thank you. really appreciate you're it. Welcome. It was a Thank great you for including me. And uh, I hope we can maybe do some business soon. I'm ready. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks everybody and we'll uh we'll see you next week.